sir. Hey, how are you? Good. Are we doing oh, this today? Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Do you want to do it another time? No, no, come on in. <laughs> yeah, I totally just... I would say though that right now this is the most niche um, period of time you have to define something because if you don't no one pays attention and I ran into this just you know playing with Jim White he, he's actually flying out for the the release but when I play with him in England and stuff my stuff was sort of country because I do these folk songs mm -hmm. and I would do some like bluesy stuff uh, but then I'd do something way off on some tangent and play a klezmer clarinet thing and then I do kind of more of these like indie kind of drony songs or whatever and so his audience didn't know what to do because they were coming to hear this like alt country guy who tell really long stories so I've had the hardest time too because I, I don't I'm not like I can't fit into that scene you know and in town I don't fit in with the rootsy guys I can't be playing with the Jack Clats even though I do stuff that references that or the Charlie Pars but I'm not into the indie rockers, you know, I'm not, it's, it's this weird thing. And I find, um, especially with dealing with like radio and press people, if you can't define it in 10 seconds, they don't know what to deal with it. Cause mm -hmm. I think that's about the attention span of, you know, the shouting match. Mm -hmm. And then there's some people that break through like, um, I don't know, I've been listening to them like Suf John Stevens lately, mm -hmm. which some of the stuff, it's a little too um, precious for me. Like a lot of stuff, I mean, it's, I, but uh, there's that one record. Have you ever heard Age of Odds? Yeah. That one? I think the, or the, the music on that's great. Well, this record was much different than anything I've done. Part of it was I was really into minimalist stuff, and I wanted to... Uh, um, well, first of all, like, I, I was writing for um, this, this BBC documentary. And it was about this Russian clown. So it was very comical. And that's why I wrote that first one, The Seven Secrets of Snow. <laughs> Out of that, I, um, you know, years ago I did kind of like the punk rock and pop pop stuff. I don't know how you want to define that, but like there's the debauchka scene. I played with this guy, Reverend Glass Eye, out of Boston, who was like a big figure in that whole thing. Like he played with Slim Cessna. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, but that was like the well, punk you, rock. You did a, a small bent on David Byrne's label for a little bit, didn't you? Like yeah, the... with, with Jim White. But yeah. that was, Jim White's like the country weirdo folk stuff. So I did like the, whatever you want to call it, the gypsy punk cabaret shtick and I call that more shtick because it is performance-y shtick and that music what's funny about it is is your audience the audience were indie rock kids who didn't actually know what klezmer really sounds like or didn't know what they might hear some Tom Waits and hear some harmonic minor scales but they don't know the real thing you know it's the same thing with like when the brass messengers plays Balkan music our audience are not people who really know what fanfare chu carlia sounds like you know um, but so I came from that I've been trying to distance myself for that, from that scene for like 10 years and just do more like songwriting. I've got a new Painted Saints record that's pretty much done. We just haven't released it because I got this grant and just life's been busy. But they're more songwriterly kind of things, you know, and like uh, I feel like the lyrics are a little more intentional. Um, but anyway, so for the, the BBC guys, I try, I, it felt like it needed some of that kind of oompa-pa stuff, <laughs> you know? So I wrote stuff where I'd guitar and, and whistle. So I'd have like a simple chord progression and, and like a very strong melody. Um, and then I got this grant, so it was for $10,000. So I thought, well, $10,000, I can do all sorts of shit. <laughs> you know? So I put together, I basically got um, seven musicians for seven of the songs and then one with the Brass Messengers. So it was a whole ton of musicians to write it out. And so the Brass Messengers um, won definitely that tune, Seven Secrets, has got some spaghetti western elephant elements and also like 
you know, really heavy-handed waltz, even though it's in 5-4 for the most part. But it's it's got that kind of like overwhelming, you know, Dvachka-esque brass band feel. The other stuff I wanted to do minimalism. I was listening to like Steve Reich a lot. I was listening to Philip Glass to a certain degree, and I wanted to have all these layers. Mm -hmm. So there's one called Large Hearted on there, which um, it's very mathy. It's a very minimalist composer kind of thing. So it has you know it's in five four. It does this kind of repeated thing, and there's about six or seven different melodies, and they pop in. So the first half has that happen, then there's a waltz in the middle of it, which is a little more obvious. Then it goes back to the 5-4 thing, where it's super mathy, because it has all these superimposed melodies, and they'll repeat uh, where they're staggered, and then each, you know, it'll be like a bar of 5-4. So there's a four-bar phrase where it goes 5-4, five, 5-4, four, 5-4, five, 5-4. Four, five, four, five, four. They repeat, then it goes 5-4, five, 6-5-5. Five, five. Then it goes 5-6, five, 5-6. Six, five six and it goes five seven five six so it's it's basically disintegrating these melodies and they stretch out and when we recorded it it didn't sound that obvious and when i gave it to the musicians you know everyone's first impression was holy shit what we can't play this you know and and a lot of those musicians too were used to um more lead sheet stuff because when we do dreamland faces we do write it out mm -hmm. they're very composed uh melodies but usually because there'll be different instrumentations depending on what we're doing. Um, and it's a lot of film scores where we'll just, we might in the middle of something stop and move on to a new idea because it's basically corresponding to a film. And a lot of stuff is slapstick, so it's, it's improvised. So it's just a lead sheet. And this is the first time where I'd have like a 300 measure piece where everything is completely scored out. Seriously, about a year ago, you know, I'd actually practice and like learn. This is the correct way to play two-handed scales, you know, because I just kind of dinked around, um, and I wrote this all on piano. So, although I did research to a lot of it, a lot of it was playing stuff on piano, and then realizing I can't actually play what I want to do, and then spend four hours practicing that simple part so that I could play it, <laughs> you know. So a lot of it came from just awkward mistaken piano playing, and I wrote it all on piano, and then went from there. So a lot of times I would record it with a little handheld recorder and then dump it to Pro Tools just as a simple file and then overdub on it with clarinet. Okay. And then I would just go through these versions of it. And a lot of times I'd have an A section or something and a completely unrelated B and throw them together and realize that didn't work. Um, and then this was the, the first time too I had such a deadline that I'd have to, you know, I'd say, okay, I will sit down today and write a counter melody to this part. And it'd be, okay, it is done. I'm not going to once it's done, it's done. Right. You know, so I had to be very kind of assembly line to a certain degree. Did that help you? Know? you? It did, absolutely. No, I mean, this this year has, um, yeah, my time scale is so limited with my daughter and just, um, now that she's in kindergarten, it's different. But this whole process, basically when she was in preschool, three days a week for four hours, that was my writing time. Or I would, if I, if I didn't do it then, that's when I could access all my Pro Tools stuff here and do the overdubbing. Yeah. Other than that, I could start practicing like 10 o'clock at night at the place where I teach. Mm -hmm. So that's why a lot of it's piano based, is because I was there with a piano all night. Right. So I'd stay up till four in the morning just writing. But because I have this, you know, it's like four hours, you sat down and you're like, this is four hours to do all the Pro Tools stuff. So yeah. I have to be a semi-line. 
and, and that's how I'm trying to treat things now, is now that she's in kindergarten, I'm trying to compose. Um, I'm writing for a Harold Lloyd film. I'm going to do the St. Cloud Film Festival. I'm doing a silent film for them this next year. Nice. I was going to do it this year, but the time just... I couldn't get musicians who were available because everyone's so busy. Yeah. Um, but that's what I do. I just sit down and, like, you know, just make a point of writing stuff. And I have stuff where I think it could be better to a certain degree, but I don't want to just let it sit around and wait for inspiration, like this vague kind of thing. I mean, that's what film composers do. You know, you have six weeks and, like, you have to get it done. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you have to you can't be too precious about it. You just have to say it's done and this is what it is. And, and I think that's why I like improvising and doing a lot of jazz stuff is because you have limitations. And, you know, jazz is very limiting because you have a set chord change. Um, I mean, there's free jazz, which is its own world, but um, basically you have a set chord change that you have to, the game is how you manipulate those limitations and come up with something that's really cool. Yeah. You know, and the best people come up with really clever stuff. That's one thing that's really funny is, you know, teaching kids or just the... The public, um, you know, starting with Jack Kerouac and all that kind of stuff, is that jazz is the stream of consciousness, and it is so not. <laughs> I mean, you know, you read it's the book. It's a lot of listening. Like, you've got oh, to yeah. listen to everyone who's in the room, even the yeah. audience, yeah. to get a sense yeah. of how it's all going to fit yeah. together in yeah. that moment. Well, and it's also like a very um, giving props to other people kind of music. I mean, good soloists, you can hear them, and they'll throw in like a Charlie Par Parker lick, or they'll reference like another tune. You know, yeah. and that's kind of the, the art of it is it's like, it's very craft-oriented music. It's not like a, you know, it's not like a drone fest, just play until the spirit moves you. You know, it's very much so crafted. Yeah. You know, you practice, you're improvising, and you come to the table with like a whole bag of tricks and stuff. That idea of replicating without duplicating is really important in jazz to a certain degree, and especially in film music, because with film music, you're not writing like your own vision or whatever. You have to take a scene and create an emotional content to that. And so, um, basically, people have an emotional reaction to things, things they've already heard. You know, when you hear the Star Wars theme, when you hear like those John Williams-like things, that's why a lot of composers do that, because it, they have that in the back of their head, there's that emotional cue that they've already made. Yeah. You know, that's why cliches, it's, it's a dirty word, but it's actually kind of a, a technical term to a certain degree, is because when you create an emotion, people want that cliche. It's because they've got that, you know, there's like the sultry sax, or like, you know, an accordion has a Jan Tiersen-y feel to it. Yeah. So as a film composer, you have to do that. A lot of times I'd play with like Dreamlight Faces or and they would write the majority of it. And it's only been the last few years that I would write a lot of my stuff for that. But my because I was doing more songs rather than instrumental stuff, it never fit because my songs you could take some of the melodies and there are a few instrumental bits, but they were too heavy handed or they just fit into the songwriting thing. They weren't yeah, meant for that. But the stuff that works best for the silent films are the really simple and that's why jazz tunes work good too. It's a 32 bar recurring form. You can throw it in there. The problem I did with Grant is uh, my tendency is to, I always want to, I always want to be a smart ass. I can't just do a simple thing. You know, and even on like uh, that song Husitania, the beginning's in 5-4 and it's a pretty straightforward melody. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I've got a nice melody and, and chord change and this, this sounds great with the instrumentation. So of course I have to do a smart ass counter melody.
think it works as a composition, but that wouldn't work for film because you need pads, you need stuff that, that elevates a scene. So I'm really proud of this record, but it's, it's kind of like, it's not quite film music in the sense that it's too complicated and changes too much. And I wouldn't call it concert music in the sense of like, um, like real established academic composers. You know, it's not like a, a guy who's teaching at Yale because I don't think I have the, um, the harmonic detail yet, you know? And that's something I'm working on, but I've never really studied composition. I am now. I mean, actually, last year, I did another thing for the Minnesota Book Awards um, where we took books that won the Minnesota Book Awards and I got a commission to compose for that. And I worked, I mean, I spent hours, but I spent uh, an entire day just watching YouTube clips on how to do um, counterpoint. So it would like analyze Bach counterpoint. And you know, it says, here's your rules. You know, and this is your first species counterpoint, blah, blah, blah. And that's a whole system. And people, you know, will spend a lifetime learning it. You know, in college, there's an entire semester, well, two semesters just on counterpoint. Yeah. You know, so I, I learned how to do that, but my skill level is, you know, minimal counterpoint. But I wrote a whole Bach counterpoint for this poem and had vocal stuff. And it actually came out really well. Like I felt nice. proud of it. Um, so I am studying that, but definitely what I can do is not, you know, to studied composers um, who really have that craft. So yeah, it's, it's another niche thing. It's like, well, I'm not really doing the film composing uh, hook. And I think a lot of film composing too is more um, the technology, like you have to know how to like do the time code and simply if people do that as much anymore or just lining things up. But it's also just about your sound palette, mm -hmm. you know, more than it is like just, and I think that's what a lot of directors want too, is you come to them with ideas that more of a sound palette than specific melodies or stuff, you know, and they would want this whole palette. They say, okay, I like this, I like that. I, I like the idea of having deadlines, actually, and I like just having things done. You, know, you sit down and you have a project and it's done, you can go back and look on it. But no, I just think it's, I like the collaboration, you know, of, of working with like a director and like you, they have your vision and you're trying to help someone support someone's, you know, idea. Yeah, so I mean the film scoring thing, I don't know, this project that was, I was hoping part of this would be a demo so that I could get in film and stuff, but it, it, it ended up being completely its own thing. So each, each tune is its own little world that, you know, it's kind of a standalone composition to a certain degree. Are you actually going to release the album? Yeah, no, the whole deal. It's December 5th. That's the okay. CD. It's at, we're at the Cedar. Okay. So it's the Cedar Cultural Center. So we're playing the entire record. Start to finish. Start to finish and projecting the films. So for each piece, there's the piece that I did. Mm -hmm. There's a film that goes with it and an illustration. Thanks to Paul Fanfara for his time and for the use of his music in this episode. Be sure to check out PainAndSaints.net for more information and go to the Cedar for the release show on Saturday, December 5th. Mm -hmm.